Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you ready? Yes, always. There's this YouTube video that I've been watching repeatedly over the past few days. It's from Binance, the crypto exchange. And yeah, that's their music choice. The video was recorded back in December, and it features Changpeng Zhao, Binance's CEO, who's better known as CZ. And he's answering questions from people on Twitter. Questions like, how do I get a Binance hoodie? So yeah, this hoodie is not for sale. It's for community members who are very helpful. If you just help out answering questions on Twitter, in Telegram groups, and when our teams notice you, uh, you'll get a hoodie. It doesn't have a price, so it's priceless. But also questions like, how would you manage a situation like the FTX collapse? Well, first of all, the key is not to get into that situation first. Um, it's not just when a crisis happened, what do you do? When you move tens of billions of user funds and lost it, that's kind of hard to manage. But even when that happens, I think the best things to do is stop everything, be transparent, communicate, be open. But more importantly, the, key, the trick is not to even go anywhere near that. Except that now, five months after releasing that video, CZ's company is the one in trouble. It's not exactly an FTX situation, but the Securities and Exchange Commission is suing Binance, accusing it of mishandling customer funds and lying to regulators. It's a big deal because Binance is the largest crypto exchange in the world. And then the next day, things got worse for crypto because the SEC also filed charges against Coinbase, the biggest exchange in the U.S. All of this meant I had to make a phone call. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, the managing editor for crypto at Bloomberg News. I feel like I only talk to you when something has gone terribly awry in the crypto world. That's just a normal Tuesday (laughs) in crypto. Today on the show, Stacey Marie explains what the government's up to and whether it's curtains for crypto. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's not uncommon for regulators to take aim at crypto companies. But usually, we're talking about one-offs. Small fish. Not the big companies. And suing two huge exchanges in one week is pretty remarkable. I asked Stacey Marie to first run me through the suit against Binance. This is not a, a small entity. This is an entity that has tens of billions of dollars in transactions and trade. And what the SEC is saying is a couple of things. First, that Binance, and specifically its U.S. entity, Binance U.S., essentially didn't fill in the right paperwork to be operating in the United States. Binance.com, the big, huge, enormous entity of which the CEO is a guy named, known as CZ or Changpeng Zhao, does not officially operate in the United States. Right. Only the little baby sibling, Binance US, which is affiliated with them but officially separate, operates in the United States. And so the SEC, which only has jurisdiction in the US, is like, hey, this thing that is supposed to be a U.S.-registered entity, a U.S.-headquartered entity, didn't fill in the right paperwork. And not only did you not do the appropriate stuff, we have evidence, testimony, screenshots, quotes from your executives that you all knew you weren't doing the right stuff. That's the allegation. There, There is an interesting little quote in the complaint from an executive at Binance saying, on the surface, we cannot be seen to have U.S. users, but in reality, we should get them through other creative means. That's not what you want to see when the government regulators come for you. I would think that this is the year in which a lot of lawyers are making a lot of money. The SEC suit also says that Binance was mishandling customer funds. That accusation brings to mind FTX, the disgraced crypto company that was using its customers' money to do all sorts of sketchy things. But Stacey Marie says what happened to Binance is different in a few key ways. Binance and Binance US have both come out and said, we reject these charges out of hand. Um, we disagree with the characterization of what's been going on here. And this specifically is one of the areas where they've taken pains to say, the way you're representing this is not what actually happened. Hmm. And I think a lot of what the concern is from the SEC, but also from people on the outside, is they hear commingling customer funds and people's minds immediately jump to, oh, isn't this what FTX was accused of doing? Right. Sam Bankman-Fried's company. So when the SEC, you know, uses phrases like, customer funds and commingling, people get really stressed. But the details of the allegations are not that Binance took them and did inappropriate things with them. It's that they didn't have the right, again, like documentation, protocols, processes to make sure that they were able to identify this money really belongs to customer ABC hmm. rather than all of it being, you know, lumped into one big pool, right? So unlike the allegations against FTX, which is they took customer money, lumped it into one big pool and then spent it, none of that is being suggested of Binance. What is, what is being suggested is, yes, you did some lumping into big pools, but we know that you still have it, or at least the SEC has not said that that money is missing, which I think is a really important thing to clarify. 
Binance has also come out and said as a company, like, hey, come on, we were trying to work all this out. We were talking. You all requested documents from us. This is really unfair, which sort of makes me wonder why regulators decided to act now. That is the multiple billion dollar question that um, a lot of folks have been speculating about. And what I would note is regulators have been acting for a while. Hmm. What is much more noticeable and pronounced is the size of the entities that they are going after, right? So, you know, roughly every week, and I know this because we get all the press releases and all the legal filings, there is something like SEC shuts down um, crypto-affiliated Ponzi scheme. New York Attorney General shuts down crypto-affiliated scam. Like there's a steady drumbeat in the United States of different kinds of attempts by regulators and lawmakers to protect consumers. Binance is a very large target. Coinbase is a very large target. And the bigger the target, according to the lawyers that we talk to, the higher the bar, as it were, to come out and say, we are going to allege that you were doing something that's not up to scratch because you have to have documentation, you have to have testimony, you have to have records, you would have had months of back and forth with the companies and the people involved. They are going to threaten to counter sue. So, you know, this is not a, okay, you wake up on a, on a Monday morning and you're like, let's go after the largest crypto exchange in the world and we can have that filed by next week. If you're a customer who was trading with, with Binance or has money in a, in a wallet held there, like, should you be freaking out? I will always say that reporters don't give financial advice. And, <laughs> and what I will note is that both Binance and Binance US have, you know, taken real pains to say, we are transparent. Here's how you can see what we are doing. We are communicating with you in real time. And there have been no reports, because we monitor this very closely, of people saying, I tried to withdraw my crypto and I couldn't. And that's often a sign that an exchange is facing a liquidity issue mm. that, you know, you're trying to get, it's like a run on the bank, except these aren't banks, um, but you're trying to get your crypto out of them and you can't. And, you know, that's something that both Binance US and Binance have really come out to say. There is no, you know, you have nothing to worry about. It's on you to like trust the reassurance, but they have not offered any sign of distress or inability to continue to process customer transactions. Though at the same time, the SEC has asked a court to, to freeze Binance's assets. Exactly. So there is one big, gigantic caveat to that, which is a judge may still decide to put limits on what Binance can do with its assets. And that, you know, hearing is going to happen in um, sometime this June. But there's no sign in either the SEC's request or anything we're hearing from Binance that that means customer assets would be frozen. That may be like added, it may be requested, but at the moment, this is a question of the SEC is saying, we want to be able to make sure that what Binance does is something we can have close control over. They are not saying we want to stop customers of Binance from having access to their funds. In the middle of all of this is the guy you heard at the top of the show, Changpeng Zhao, otherwise known as CZ, Binance's CEO. He's a giant in crypto. There was even a time when it looked like he might rescue FTX before it went under. 
then CZ very publicly said, no, thank you. And pretty much anything that happens at Binance goes through CZ. He is an extremely interesting person in crypto for lots of reasons. He has been in the space for a very, very long time. Um, you know, he is he's one of the folks who his name is mentioned alongside Vitalik Buterin, who's the co-founder and co-creator of Ethereum. You know, when when you're talking about people who have been in and around crypto, CZ is one of those folks. And he is perceived by a lot of people as somebody who was able to make the very difficult leap of going from like a real like engineer, technocrat, technically minded developer with that kind of engineering sensibility to someone who is now the CEO of one of the largest organizations in the world. Like if they were a publicly traded company, they would be very large um, and certainly the largest in crypto. One of the other things that people say about him, and, and we have written this in our own reporting, is that he really values loyalty mm. And that as a result, you know, Binance, which is, again, a privately held company in which he has like the majority of the ownership stake, um, is run in a way that means he is still ultimately accountable for even the smallest of decisions, right? Like he he is really in the details of approving things, saying yes to things like, yes, you can spend money on this. No, you can't hire over here. Like a really, really hands-on day-to-day operator of what is a very, very large company. And so this is something that from a regulatory perspective, it's one of the reasons why in the eyes of regulators, it's so important to identify him as not just being the founder, not just being the CEO, but as somebody who, according to the SEC, would have been intimately and personally involved in, you know, decision-making, reviewing decisions, whatever those things might be. And what he has said and what he continues to say repeatedly is that, you know, Binance and his team, they never knowingly violated any rules and policies. They made best, good faith attempts to follow appropriate guidelines around the world. And really, this is an argument over interpretation of facts as opposed to an argument over facts. Whether that flies in a court, we shall see. The the suit also says that, you know, billions of, of U.S. dollars in customer funds from, from the various Binance platforms were commingled in an account held by a, a entity controlled by CZ called Merit Peak Limited. I mean, I realize this is a little bit dorky, but it, it's basically saying that some of these funds were subsequently tra- transferred to a you know, a third party, like, it, it all feels murky. You know, one of the fun things about crypto is that it's an asset class that is based on the idea of trustlessness and transparency. Trustlessness in the sense of you don't have to trust anybody because you can see everything on the blockchain, you can make your own decisions. But when you get down to kind of the details, it can be really hard to tell hmm. what's going on. You could be extremely intelligent. You could be a fantastic programmer. There's just a lot of stuff happening and it's sometimes obscure. And I think the concern that regulators have about the commingling is even if there is no nefarious intent, because again, they have not alleged that there is any sign of fraud. They have not alleged that there is any kind of criminal activity. What they've alleged is this doesn't seem to align 
with what would be best for customers. This doesn't seem to align with like good practices for operational management processes and protocol, because those good practices tend to make it harder to steal money. They tend to make it harder to misrepresent your financial position, right? So it's it's a very, it's an interesting line that the SEC is walking here, which is they're like, we took 136 pages to say, here's all the bad stuff we could find. And a lot of the bad stuff was, you should really have better paperwork. You should... <laughs> really have better accounts management. You should really know where this money is. The But the bad stuff is not, we think you're stealing all the money. And so, you know, so many of these allegations can feel, um, you know, to an outsider, like procedural and bureaucratic, but they are allegations about having insufficiently strong and robust practices to be a well-run company operating at this scale. CZ seems to be, um, as the saying goes, tweeting through it. Aren't we all? I mean, dudes online. Um, This feels like a, you know, like a little bit of a combative stance. And I kind of wonder, like, what does he have to lose from that? But also, what does he have to gain? Because after all, I assume, like, things are still full steam ahead internationally, right? I am truly fascinated as a person who's covered lots of different asset classes by what I would describe as the communication strategy of the crypto industry vis-a-vis regulators, lawmakers, etc. Because it is unusual for, you know, the CEOs of very large companies, some of which are publicly traded, to go on Twitter and be like, here's why the government is wrong. <laughs> Um, on sort of a, a daily basis. Yeah. And that that's kind of de jour in, in crypto. It's like, if you are not on Twitter saying the government is wrong, like, are you even doing your job? Like, that, that seems to be the flavor. You can hear something similar from Brian Armstrong, the Coinbase CEO, speaking at a Bloomberg investor conference just the day after Coinbase was sued by the SEC. Armstrong talked about getting a chilly reception from the SEC chairman when he first came into office. We eventually got a meeting that was virtual. You know, it may have been COVID-related or something like that, but we were able to get a a virtual meeting. But unfortunately, it was frankly like a pretty icy reception, I would say. Um, You know, we sort of came in hat in hand and said, hey, Chair Gensler, you know, You've asked people to come in and register. Respectfully, we're here to register. What would you like us to do? What what, um, process would you like us to go through? And his response was, um, you know, talk to your lawyer. I'm not here to advise you. When I first started reporting on crypto and I would ask, you know, people who came from traditional finance who were moving into crypto companies, like, what is the hardest part of the adjustment? And they would be like, definitely the rules of engagement, right? Like they, this sort of expectation that you manage in public and that you bring along your users with you, which interestingly enough, is really something that tech pioneered, right? Like when Uber would email you to say, we do not agree with San Francisco or London or New York and the policies they're trying to impose, like, please make your voices heard. The crypto companies are doing, I would say, a more aggressive and more advanced version of that playbook, but still something where they are going to take the fight public and to the people, as it were. Yeah, I mean, you and I both covered the financial crisis, and I, I even the idea of like a bank CEO talking during market hours are shocking, let alone wow. saying like the SEC is wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, like, imagine Lloyd Blankfein at the height of 2008 going on to be like, this is why Goldman is completely fine and you should listen to me. It's just the mind boggles. It's a different culture. When we come back, what the SEC and crypto have got here is a failure to communicate. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So let's talk a little bit about Coinbase, which is the the other suit that the SEC filed. This one feels um, a little more straightforward to me. It, it sounds kind of like the SEC is saying, like, we have philosophical differences in terms of how you think about crypto. You think it's like this cool thing, and we think it's an unregistered security. <laughs> Um, to be clear, that's also a large chunk of the SEC's disagreements with Binance. Uh, but with Coinbase, it's the majority of the disagreement, to your point, right? Like, there's, like, other stuff that the SEC is like, also, Binance, we don't like this thing that you were doing over here. But with Coinbase, they were like, folks, we've said you got to stop arguing that these things aren't securities because we've said they are securities. And Coinbase would be like, we disagree. <laughs> We continue to disagree. We've disagreed from day one, you know, and there's an interesting argument that Coinbase makes, which is when we file to go public, because again, Coinbase is the only publicly traded U.S. crypto exchange, the only publicly traded crypto exchange in the United States, they had to get SEC approval to go public, right? And so they're like, dudes, you said we could do the thing (laughs) that we're doing. And the SEC is like, ah, we said you could do a version of the thing that you're doing. And now some of these tokens that you list have moved into a realm of what we would consider to be securities. But like, why why did they think it was okay when they filed for, you know, an IPO? And now they're like, wait, no, we disagree. It's partly the evolution of what kinds of tokens people in crypto are into, right? Hmm. So um, when Coinbase first went public, the majority of people who knew anything about crypto, if they knew anything at all, they knew about Bitcoin and they knew about Ether. And there is prevailing, mostly shared consensus and agreement that Bitcoin and Ether do not count as securities. And so if you do stuff with them, you are mostly fine. But now, according to the SEC, and they they took great pains to list this in both the filings against Coinbase and Binance, you know, exchanges are offering tokens like Solana or Polygon or various other things with lots of different names. And from the SEC's perspective, those look more like securities hmm. than a Bitcoin or an Ether. And so if you are a platform 
offering securities to customers, then there's a bunch of rules that you have to follow. And what the crypto platforms say consistently is, we keep trying to follow those rules, but you won't let us register. And so there's this interesting detente between the crypto companies who are like, we promise you we tried to register. And the SEC is like, yeah, but you didn't try to register correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just goes back and forth infinitely and more lawyers get paid. I mean, it feels like a a big sticking point is that these exchanges, whether you're talking about Binance or or Coinbase and, and, you know, they, they all merge functions that in the normal world of securities, stocks, bonds, what have you, are performed by different entities. You you might have a broker trader over here or a clearinghouse over here. Could you illuminate like why the SEC has such a problem with that? Imagine in in an ordinary marketplace, to your point, you have people you might buy from, you have people you might want to sell to, You have people who are like, oh, this looks like a good price for these things. You have people making sure that, you know, it's easy and fast to do those transactions. But to your point, those are usually separated and segregated functions, right? And it's also, there's even segregation for like the people who suggest, hey, you should buy this or you sell this. Like the marketing is different from the person actually selling you the thing. With crypto exchanges, All or a lot of those functions are all offered by the same people. So they are buyer, seller, advertiser, underwriter, people who are verifying the standards are good. Also the ones who their venture capital arms are like investing in those same projects. So to the SEC's eyes, this just looks like a giant set of potential conflicts of interest where the rights of the customer or the rights of the consumer are not necessarily as well protected if those functions and those parties were a little bit more separate from each other. The crypto exchanges will say, sure, we'd love to have all those things be separate, but you won't let us (laughs) set those things up. Or they'll sometimes say, we want to work with third parties, but your regulations won't let them, you know, manage our crypto or we want to work with, you know, reasonable auditing companies, but their compliance departments won't let them work with that. There is, I would say, like 12% truth <laughs> in in some of those arguments. There are absolutely auditors who are willing to work with crypto companies. There are definitely third parties that are willing to work with them. Um, but it has allowed crypto companies to be way more profitable mm. by combining all of these things in-house. Because they're right? making because money on, like, fees on each separate thing. On every single thing, yes. So there's also, there's kind of a disincentive in any case to want to split those things up because why would you, if you own the thing end-to-end, it's much more streamlined for you. It's very operationally efficient, but it's not necessarily the best possible, safest deal for the customer. The other thing is that having all of those functions in one place increases the likelihood that one catastrophic failure could create serious risk in the market. Though that seems a little less scary now that crypto is having a not-so-hot year. Since the collapse of FTX, the size of the crypto market has really, really shrunk, right? So you're going from like $3 trillion in trades a day which again is like not very large relative to the size of the equity markets or the bond markets or the FX market, but it was big for crypto, down to a trillion. And so from a regulatory perspective, the like perceived risk of any one of these companies going down is less. 
than it would have been, say, when Bitcoin was trading at $65,000, because the number of people involved is relatively smaller. The, the pure dollar value of things is relatively smaller. People have had a lot of time to decide what their risk tolerance is, right? If, if you are still in crypto in June 2023, you can't say that you didn't see <laughs> all this other stuff that's been going down. Like, it's a very hard argument to make versus, um, you know, February 2021, when it was like the Super Bowl of crypto kind of vibes, right? Where it was like the messaging was all positive. Everything's great. Everything's going up. If you are still here, you'll, you've seen multiple failures, multiple allegations of fraud, multiple lawsuits. So I think that while the concentration risk is real, the effects are perceived as being less potentially catastrophic hmm. than if this were a year and a half ago. Further on that point, like, is crypto toast? <laughs> as a crypto editor <laughs> you would not believe how many times a day i get this question people are like are you still gonna have a job like is this a real thing um and my answer is as long as people are trading it it's an asset class that's going to continue to exist right and you know i used to be a reporter who wrote about credit default swaps there are like 12 people now who care about credit default swaps but sometimes people care a lot um and so this market persists and when credit suisse is doing wild things and <laughs> people are worried about the u.s default then people continue to care about what is now a much more niche corner of the market. And I think with crypto, there was a lot of rhetoric, and this was really something that you heard from people like Sam Bankman-Fried, um, that this was going to be the year that crypto is going to go mainstream. But you've, you heard that in 2018, you heard it in 2021, you heard it before, like every five years is going to be the year that crypto goes mainstream. Well, now all those guys are talking about AI. Right. <laughs> so, you know, these like ebbs and flows in crypto are very much par for the course and very much expected. So what I think is going to happen if all of these cases play out in the way that the SEC wants them to, in the way the regulators want them to, and you're already starting to see this, is more and more activity will move out of the U.S., and into, you know, other other places that are offering more crypto-friendly approaches like the UAE or Hong Kong or the Bahamas or Bermuda. And so if you are a U.S. person, a person with a U.S. passport or U.S. ID trying to open a crypto account, your options will be more limited if you want to follow the rules, because the number of places who can legally serve you will be smaller than it is right now. Well, that was sort of where I wanted to to go with my next question, which is, it seems to me, following the path that these things have taken, that the U.S. regulatory vision is sort of saying crypto might be fundamentally incompatible with how we want the rules to apply in the United States. Yeah. Um, Gary Gensler, who is the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. And before that, worked at the CFTC. Before that, worked at the CFTC. He's got like the full perspective on everything. And before that, taught a course on blockchain and crypto, has said repeatedly, including just days ago on Bloomberg Television, that the problem that crypto companies face is not a lack of regulatory clarity. Right? Because like that's the line you hear from crypto companies. We just want to know how to follow the rules. We just want clarity. Gary's like, Gensler's like, oh, we're very clear. 
here's the rules. This is how we're going to apply them to you. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. Right. So the, you know, the U.S. is saying very specifically, we know that some of this stuff is going to mean the market is smaller. We know that some of this stuff is going to mean the the amount of innovation, the range of products, the, you know, that some coins are just not going to exist anymore. And we're going to keep following this path. And I think that again, that is the the rock and the hard place that the most optimistic crypto CEOs are facing, which is that you can acknowledge that the SEC has said, we're not sure we want you here. Or you can be like, you should want us here. And this is why. And we're going to try to get our customers to change your mind. Stacey Marie Ishmael, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Happy to be here. Stacey Marie Ishmael is the managing editor of Crypto for Bloomberg. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. When you become a member, you get all of your Slate podcasts ad-free. So just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.